This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. It's all getting real. Frighteningly real. So real, you can taste it. Just when you think that things are going to be able to linger a little longer, all of a sudden the deadlines become not just visible, but inevitable. Indeed, that is the case with our debt ceiling. The fight that was supposed to linger through the summer looks like it might be here closer to the beginning of bathing suit season. And that means all of a sudden Joe Biden in the White House has to go from a you show me yours and I'll show you mine stance when it comes to plans with the Republicans to when can you meet? Meanwhile, a Republican primary continues to shuffle. One big name who many thought would be in the running seems like he's not. Unless, of course, he is. And in Arizona, we have a very confusing media rollout for what might be the most high-profile independent campaign since Ross Perot. Kirsten Cinema, Glenn Youngkin, Kevin McCarthy, Joe Biden. It's getting real. And it's real right now. From Dog and Pony Show Audio, I'm Justin Robert Young. This is Politics, Politics, Politics. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for May 3rd, 2023. Your old pal here in Austin, Texas. As we mentioned at the top, there's a lot to get to, so I'm not going to give you any more rigmarole. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has told congressional leaders in a Monday letter that the United States government could default on its $31.4 trillion debt as soon as June 1st, unless Congress acts. This is from Punchbowl News, who also broke the story that Joe Biden has called Speaker Kevin McCarthy and others mem- and other members of the Big Four seeking to schedule a meeting on May 9th. That is a week from as I record this on Tuesday, a little less than that when you are hearing it. Now, this is a reversal. Brave Sir Robin ran away. When it comes to Joe Biden's position, what I want you to do, and this will be a little bit of a regrade if you have listened to our Politics, Politics, Politics Extra that we put out every Monday morning where we go through all the Sunday shows. But I just want to play for you. This is Chris Coons, the senator from Delaware, when he was asked about the Republicans passing a bill that had no shot in the Senate, but at the very least, would satisfy Joe Biden's previous position on all this, which is, you show me your plan, I'll show you mine. Biden put out his budget, that's DOA. The Republicans put their bill through the House, 
So Kevin McCarthy was able to wrangle his apple dumpling gang, his uh, various tribes beyond the wall, and get something through his chamber. This is how Coons talked about it. Okay, I want to turn to the debt ceiling. The House vote this week passing their debt ceiling bill, which, of course, would raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion, but, of of course, cuts key parts of President Biden's agenda. What should the Senate be doing now? He says he won't really negotiate this. He wants a clean debt bill. We can't default. Martha, you know what the consequences would be for your viewers and our country if we were to default, and that's what this is really about. The Republicans are demanding hostage negotiations where they will uh, crash the full faith and credit of the United States. That would raise the rates that your viewers are paying on credit cards or student loans or mortgages. It would throw our country into recession and hurt us globally. President Biden has said he will meet with Speaker McCarthy about the things we should be discussing, the annual spending, the appropriations process. But that he we're wants underway no spending cuts. No spending cuts. That he will not negotiate? Well, let's look at their records. He actually has reduced the deficit by $1.7 trillion. His predecessor ballooned the deficit with record tax cuts. But let's cuts. go forward. The what are you going to do now? The want to make those permanent. Look at what just passed in the House. It would cut veterans' health care. We just passed landmark legislation to fund the health care for burn pit victims. They'd cut that. If you apply the cuts across programs that they're talking about, 30,000 state and local law enforcement officers would be laid off. So you, would let, the hun- de- you would let us default our debt? No, befo- before I would not any, let us before, default. No, before any spending cuts. No, I'd be happy to negotiate what's the mix of revenue increases and spending cuts that make sense going forward. Look at President Biden's real record the last two years. We have reduced the deficit. So that was Sunday, okay? And you can see exactly what the Democrats wanted to do on Sunday. Toxify the bill that was passed from the House. This bill is bad. It's bad for you. It's bad for everybody who's watching. It's bad for your dog. It's bad for your mom. It's bad for your boat. It's bad for your lizard, right? Uh, Nothing is going to be benefited by this. This is absolutely reckless by an insane party run by insane people. It is bad. It is bad. It is bad. And that's what you saw. So funny, man. Twitter's the funniest website on the planet. That's what you saw by all the volunteer pundits. Volunteer pundits on Twitter. Oh, boy. Uh, 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 the, the concept of a messaging bill never have been heard from the volunteer pundits who do nothing but champion messaging bills, by the way. If you're unfamiliar on what a messaging bill was, is a messaging bill is when one part of Congress, knowing that it has no shot of passing in the other House of Congress, puts something through that is more ideologically pure. One would say to send a message. So. For example, if there's a pretty solid Democratic lead in the House and yet it is a Republican Senate, you might send a bill through saying that Roe versus Wade is the law of the land, knowing that none of the people that are in the Senate are going to vote for it. But you can say, we've passed legislation that made Roe versus Wade the law of the land. You can say that in your reelection campaigns. You can do a lot of stuff like that. So. This is effectively a messaging bill, mostly because Joe Biden doesn't want to give up any more than he has to in terms of negotiations to raise the debt ceiling. So he doesn't want to cut anything he's already passed. He doesn't want to cut 
anything, right? I mean, like, or at least in a negotiation, he wants to start with zero. And then if he gives a little bit, then that'll be as much as you're going to be able to squeeze out of him. And Joe Biden knows about making deals in Congress. It's where he spent the majority of his life. So what happened? Well, what happened is somewhere in the middle of Monday, Janet Yellen said what we told you up top, which is that this is not a process that will stretch into July and August, which is how it was initially looked at. No, 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 no. This is something that might resolve in the beginning of June. That means we are officially on the clock for one month until there is a possible debt default. And everything uh, timetable-wise winds up getting ratcheted up. Kevin McCarthy was in Israel. He's going to be back in America. Joe Biden now wants to meet. And everybody, according to Punchbowl, right now is dug in. The Democrats still want a clean debt ceiling. Well, if that were the case, then you would have just kept dumping dirt on this bill. But they're not going to do that, at least not right now, and at least not without Biden being an active participant. Because let's look at what's at stake here. This is a possible debt default situation as more and more indicators seem to point to the fact that there's a recession. If you want to own a recession, you would have the debt default right before there was a recession. I had to mention the darker elements of this, and I will leave it to all our economically-minded listeners to, to paint it out for us via email if you'd like. But how bad would a debt default affect a recession, would it make it worse? Obviously, Joe Biden politically can't really handle that. So they're going to move this debt ceiling up. And Joe Biden might have to give a little. Because I guarantee you this, right now, if you look over at his partners on the Republican side in the House, they are the most ride or die we are willing to run this some bitch off the cliff folks that we have seen in a while now maybe they blink most people do but maybe they don't and if you're joe biden are you willing to risk your presidency on that politics, politics. <laughs> This is your update. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com to support this program. One dollar. One dollar. Gets you an ad-free feed of this program. Let me just say, there, <laughs> I've, there has been negotiations uh, between myself and a web form that was sent out from our hoster, our host and, and provider, ACAST, that also sells the programmatic ads on this show, about whether or not we are opting in to political ads. And I am here to tell you, 
We have opted into all of them. We have opted into Republican ads. We have opted into Democratic ads. And we have opted into independent ads. This is going to be a prime piece of real estate for people to influence your vote. And being a wartime profiteer like I am, I will reap the monetary benefits. I will take whatever fraction of the donations that people give to these candidates and I will take their money so they can run their ads on this program. Or you can give me a buck a week. (laughs) It's just that simple. You can go to takepoliticsseriously.com if you never want to hear a political ad, ever want to hear a political ad on this show. It's a very quick, easy, simple solution. Takepoliticsseriously.com. One dollar. One dollar per week is all that we ask. Of course, for three dollars, you get two bonus podcasts per week. It's pretty sweet. Ten bucks to get your name right at the end of the show. We're gearing up, folks. It's real. Still, let's update you. Glenn Youngkin is a no for the 2024 presidential race. Or is he? Republican Governor Governor. Danny Glover. Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia confirmed Monday that he will not be launching a 2024 bid for the White House this year. We're going to get back to that in a second. No, Youngkin told the Wall Street Journal editor-at-large Gerard Baker at the Milken Institute. When asked if he would be dusting off the signature fleece jacket that he became known for during his race for governor. I'm going to be working in Virginia this year, Youngkin said, pointing to the Virginia legislative elections taking place this November. Now, that has been run as his first out-and-out denial that he would run for president. And then he comes out today. This was Monday. He comes out Tuesday. And he says, well, I only said this year. We're going to get into this a little bit on Friday with Evan Scrimshaw, but... Doesn't leave him a lot of time to run in Iowa. You would think, maybe, he would go out there earlier. So right now, we're going to put Youngkin in the no-slash-maybe pile. Let's talk about somebody who is running for president. And last. Two old lovers who have been estranged for too long seem as if they're kissing and making up. Donald Trump will participate in a town hall event with CNN. The event will take place at the New Hampshire St. Anselm College next week. It will mark a major moment in the intersection of politics and media of the still nascent 2024 GOP primary. It is also the latest illustration of an aggressive media strategy from Team Trump certainly is and also it's so funny from seeing I mean how much democracy is at stake and this is an insurrection and too dangerous to be president oh you want an unbroken hour of uh, time sure love it we love it We love you. CNN wouldn't be where they are without Trump. Trump certainly wouldn't be where he was without CNN. 
always love it when two old lovers make up. Here's a name that you're going to be hearing a lot, even if you don't live in Texas. In fact, you might hear their name more if they don't live in Texas because they are the person who will run against Ted Cruz. Democratic Representative Colin Allred is planning to announce his run. The former NFL player turned civil rights attorney, Allred's been quietly prepping his run against Cruz for months during his two successful television or sorry, his two successful re-election bids since ousting the entrenched incumbent in 2018, Allred has proven a prolific fundraiser. He is well-liked within the Democratic caucus and has also picked up positions in leadership. Now serving as a member of the House Minority Whip Catherine Clark's team and previously part of Speaker Pelosi's expansive leadership team. Do you know who he is? No. Will you know who he is if you live in a major liberal city? Oh, baby. Get ready for the bumper stickers and the signs in the apartment windows because all red versus Trump. He could do it. He could do it if only we donate more. Oh, and those donations, that pipeline. How many podcast ads are you going to buy in Texas already? How many? That's what I want. That's it for your update. Head to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. One dollar will make sure that you never hear an ad on this program again. Three dollars gets you two bonus podcasts per week. Ten dollars gets you an eight right at the end of the show. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I know you guys like it when I get into some behind-the-scenes tea-leaf reading journalism stuff. So I want to do a little tea-leaf reading journalism stuff here for you. This appeared on April 29th in The Atlantic. Okay? I'm going to read the lead here. Kirsten Cinema knows what everyone says about her. She pretends not to read the press coverage. Quote, I don't really care. But she knows. She knows what her colleagues call her behind her back. Egomaniac. Traitor. She knows how many articles the New York Times has published about her wardrobe. Five. And she feels misunderstood. She'd like to explain herself. This article is short. In fact, if I'm, and this is totally guessing, I'm guessing this is probably the result of a fairly hastily put together 15 to maybe 20 minute availability, if that. The author describes that it's held in one of these basement offices that all all senators get. But I can't imagine it took too long. It's interesting, and I find it interesting because I find Kirsten Sinema Fascinating and interesting. But there's one part that actually kind of uh, popped up on my radar. Just a little beep. And it's toward the end in which the author says that it seems like cinema is not going to run for re-election. Not going to run. And I, find, I found that weird for a few reasons. Number one, it's not like 
she said on the record that she wasn't going to run. There was no show don't tell element of her not going to run. Like there wasn't like a uh, uh, cinema kept talking about the, you know, uh, uh, hiking up Kilimanjaro this November or next November, something like that. She was training for a, a, a race around the world that would effectively preclude her from campaigning. Something, there's no details. But then again, a lot of these things are normally funneled through back channels. So I looked at this as the first time that there seemed to be any indication that Kirsten Cinema would not run for office. And, you know, that would seem to track. The polling that has come out thus far, obviously there is no Democratic nominee, although it looks like Ruben Gallego. There is no Republican nominee that may or may not be the duly elected governor of Arizona, Carrie Lake. But still, interesting. I wouldn't have mentioned it here. Maybe I would have mentioned something. But then I think I found the reason why that article ran in the first place. And that's because another article ran. This one on May 1st in the New York Times magazine. Headline, Kirsten Cinema's Party of One. Well, that's weird. Two stories with Kirsten Cinema on the record? Somebody who is very particular about how she doles out her media availability? often eschewing it, not talking to reporters on background, sometimes frustratingly so, frustrated by the media, frustrated by her colleagues. Kind of weird that she would do two of these in such a tight span. She wonder. And then I read this portion of an otherwise excellent biography or bio on uh, Kirsten Cinema. Let me read this verbatim. Unlike those earlier legislative tightrope walks, Cinema, who's known for avoiding the news media, was performing this one in public. Oh, by the way, they're, they're at the border. That's where this is being described. Accompanied by a half dozen members of the Arizona press, as well as myself, it was clear, if unstated, that this was the second reason for going to the border, which most Democrats have assiduously stayed away from amid growing Republican criticism. That is her 2024 re-election bid. She never once raised the subject during our four interviews over two months. That's a lot. When I did, a day before the border, a border visit, she cheerfully replied, I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm glad you started with it, got it right out of the way. This is the reporter. Can you answer at least when you believe you'll have to make up your mind? When I'm ready, she said. If you do not run, or if you do run and are defeated, do you have any plan for what you do next? Yeah, not really thinking about that, says Cinema. In truth, her answer has been apparent for months. Why else would she have left the Democratic Party four years into her term, if not to avoid a primary in which the party's progressive base was guaranteed to turn its wrath on her? Why else was she, as the Wall Street Journal first reported, 
furtively holding staff retreats to lay out a timetable for commissioning polls and opposition research. Nothing she said in our conversations left me with the impression that she was putting a few final touches on her senatorial legacy on her way out the door to the private sector. And at the same time, Cinema, who even her closest friends describe as calculated, who described herself to me as very intentional and a planner, almost never telegraphs her strategy. It suited her ends to freeze the 2024 machinations by leaving everyone guessing. So, if you knew, as Kirsten Cinema, that you were having this big profile written on you, and you had sat down with them for four different interviews, and you had gotten the sense, if not knew outright, that in that article, that person would say that you were definitely running for president, maybe you do another interview that comes out before it. Because these magazine articles, you know, they're not like blog posts. You don't just type them into straight into the content management system and hit publish. No, no, no. They go through some layers. So you'd have time. Maybe you go to the Atlantic. Maybe you say, hey, man, you want to talk to the senator? Maybe you do. And maybe on the way out, you say, hey, by the way, we're all planning on hiking Kilimanjaro next November. Do what you will with that. I don't think anything that happens with Kirsten Cinema happens without her explicit, explicit understanding of how it's going to play. I do think that she's intentionally mudding the waters, but that also means I think she's going to run. And I'll say this. If she is going to run, then baby, she better start bruising up her opposition because splitting the difference as an independent candidate in Arizona when the Democrats are that mad at you, oh boy, got a lot of work to do. I got a little bonus uh, stuff here for you. We're going to have Evan Scrimshaw on Friday, but I was able to grab him for a little bit of an extra topic. It was a fantastic conversation. He is here to talk about the possible exit of Nate Silver, somebody that is incredibly formative, not only to the entire political data scene on the internet, but also to people who have followed in his footsteps, like our own Evan Scrimshaw. Evan, we're going to have you on on Friday for our first ever Terrible Candidates draft. But while I had you on, I need to uh, uh, have a conversation with you about the likely demise of the 538 franchise with Nate Silver saying that he is going to leave after uh, after his contract is up. You are somebody that uh, I very much have appreciated having a number-centric view of, of combing through polls and taking a quant-side view of a lot of this data. 538 did a lot to popularize that. I know you have complicated feelings on the, uh, uh, the, 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 the pros and the cons of Nate Silver and that website, so the floor is yours. So, obviously, I have to say, like, complete respect to Nate Silver. I am, like, I owe a lot of my interest in politics and the numbers in politics to Nate Silver, I think he 
was a genuinely revolutionary figure and i feel like it was notable that a lot of the takes about 538 which i didn't i never actually tweeted anything about it um focused a lot on old nate silver on up to about 2016 nate silver Mm -hmm. um because that was really when he was revolutionary the idea that the times put this number guy who has no like no basis in political reporting on their site you know used him in a, in a truly sort of efficient way like that was revolutionary and it made coverage so much better because the ability for reporters to just say completely um nonsensical numerically um deficient things has, has gone it has substantially reduced because now if a reporter just tweets to like you know nikki haley really surging in a primary yeah well no like people now like have mechanisms to say what are you talking about um but and, le- and let me, and let, me, let, me add, let me add from a reporter's perspective on the road no matter what everything is filtered on some level through the political apparatus that you are covering either you are getting it directly from people involved in the campaign and they are saying things to you about what they're seeing internally or what they're seeing, blah, 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 or you are just getting your own sense of it. You are, you are a grounds eye view of what this process is. I, I think what changed with silver, as you pointed out is what if we only took the bird's eye view? And we did our best to try to focus and hone that from a numerical sense. Uh, I, I think it was it was it was extraordinarily valuable because you're right; it didn't exist before beyond, you know, just uh, uh, people who like to play the game at home by looking at the real clear politics page. Right, and the other thing is it it made all of us smarter poll poll watchers, right? Like it 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 made it more glaring when a you know when a you know newspaper or a you know cable channel we'll like we'll we'll run a poll and then we'll write the article in a really misleading way and that's all great um he's lost his fastball we can we can be honest about this okay. his 2020 model his 2022 model they were both sh- now he was like directionally correct in 2020 because he hedged a bunch of and then the polls were were low on Republicans, so he like kind of lucked out and got forty nine states right. Okay, I don't really care. His house model was his house model was garbage. Uh, his twenty twenty two model was was insane. He's he picks when he intervenes. You know the sports models are like useful in the regular season, and like I used to go to the NBA page a bunch to see like the projected standings because it's good for that stuff. But like consistently year after year their play like their their playoff models are just like useless he he was revolutionary i don't think his i don't think the loss of the insight is that big there's a lot of like the like the the poll archive that 538 runs yeah super valuable super useful to go back to be able to go back and and confirm a prior or to check data or to stop yourself from 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 memory sort of causing your uh, what you think you remember from an election from going wrong. That's all valuable. Hopefully they can recreate that um, wherever they take it with them. I, I wonder the, the thing is, and the comparison's a little trite, but like I, the comp for Nate has to be Bill Simmons, right? 
I mean, and- in, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, number one, I, I feel like we are at a massive reckoning point in media just in general, right? Yeah. Like, advertising is terrible. There is no guarantee that it will get better. And a lot of the decisions I think you are seeing being made throughout every phase of media, uh, you know, Vice announcing that it is uh, going into bankruptcy. We've seen BuzzFeed News shutter. Uh, uh, obviously, we saw the big high-profile cable stuff with Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson. And and I think gutting 538 and understanding that Nate Silver is going to walk is is certainly part of that. That we are at the end of, I would say, probably about a 25-year run that began at the point where the internet became financially viable. Cable went through a period where it was absolute king. And now nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen next. And you can't talk about that without talking about Bill Simmons and Nate Silver. Like they were, they were two people on either side of it. One from one from a cable empire in ESPN, the other who uh, became incredibly relevant in the social media age of the dawning of, of political Twitter and, and the fact that politics like wrestling and pornography tends to be technology forward. People are into it earlier than other interests. Like they, they very much at the peak of this wave were personalities that people would come and pay attention to. And now the difference between where Bill Simmons is and where Nate Silver is, I think is reflective of both of their interests in where they wanted to take stuff. And I think that Bill Simmons is in a much better position, even if, you know, he got turned loose from Spotify, he's still going to have an empire. I don't know what Nate Silver wants to do aside from playing poker professionally. See, I think the thing is, if he wants it, and that's that's very much a question given his his you know newfound poker obsession, or you know returning poker obsession. Um, I think the Spotify model is going to be the answer. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna. I think he's gonna sign with Spotify. I think he's gonna do a, a two or three times a week Nate Silver podcast, which will be like half a sort of like version of the old five thirty eight politics podcast. And then some of it will just be like interviews with people he finds interesting in the politics space, in the sports space, in the poker space, whatever. I think they'll build him like a, a like, you know, edition of the ringer, allow him to bring like a few of his, you know, like good um, data forward writers with him and host and host the models, you know, it, whatever the hell they're calling it. But because the thing is, Simmons got out the the big difference between Ned Silver and Bill Simmons is Simmons got out at the right time, right? Simmons was Simmons got cut loose from uh, ESPN in twenty fifteen, yeah, and then he got out, was an independent, and then got the, the massive Spotify deal. Yeah, Nate is just Nate has always been running Bill Simmons's career trajectory about five to ten years late, right? Simmons started as a blogger, gets the deal at ESPN, then gets given a vertical, yeah. like the the Grantland vertical. Nate was like a baseball guy, blogger, gets the Times deal, gets the vertical at ESPN. 
he he i think i think trying to build a brand based on 538 bad idea like nate is the brand it's the nate it has to be the nate silver podcast and it has to be a place where nate can draw out like he's a smart dude for as much as i've you know him sometimes he's a smart dude he's a fairly compelling listen he's garbage at those 90 second hits that he was doing for abc for the last two and a half years oh it's so funny so so on on patreon i i go through all the clips that come out from the sunday shows and they always break out his thing they put so many wackety sound effects on it like i guess they're like for whatever reason the the people who do abc's this week think that Nate Silver is more boring than everyone else they have on that show because they need to put a sound bed and a bunch of like honking car horns and various different uh, Foley underneath them to try to make him seem interesting when it's like you listen to him, especially in the prime version of that podcast, that 538 podcast, and I'm going to define the classic cast as Nate Silver, Harry Anton, and Claire Malone specifically. Yep. Uh, I, I, I try not to crap on other podcasts in general. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's always a very personal thing. I think that that show really suffered from being very inside baseball and very, not even inside baseball, like politics wise, just inside New York. Like it was, it was a very New York media bubble kind of thing. And when there's not anybody that's going to challenge Nate Silver, then he's just going to say, I don't know, and move on. And I feel like that's been the case for that show when he shows up for the last three years, you know, maybe even longer than that. Yeah, and I, like, Enton, I mean, I don't know what the hell, like, when was, like, him leaving 538 is still a very weird decision because, like, oh, you go to CNN and they don't use you at all. But, I mean, the the pitch, I can understand the pitch. The pitch was... Oh, BR Nate Silver. And yeah, but the problem is is that like if you're going to optimize someone like Nate, what you what you actually want is to is to sort of recreate the John King Kornacki role. Yes, right? Yeah. That's what you need to do. It's not you need to combine cuz the thing that Nate has and Harrington has too is just like an extremely large knowledge of electoral fact, right? And they can talk you through, you know, what the polls mean, but they yes. can also talk you through 70% of the votes in and Herschel Walker's up four, but like all the votes that are left are early from Fulton. So like, yes. he's like so it's a wrap. It's, it's game over. Yeah. It's ice. Or, or, or the pan or Florida's tied, but all that's left to come in is the panhandle. So obviously the GOP are going to win, whatever. And that's the problem is that they were, they're trying to like keep those as two separate jobs. So the networks don't know what to do with them. So they give Nate 90 seconds. The 90 yeah. seconds is really garbage because that's not a good way to get conducive answers out of someone like him. So then they, then they dress it up with, with the clown, with the clown noises. Yeah. And it's just like Spotify is the vehicle for it because Nate is better. Nate will be better in long form than he is in short form. And he's better when he has like a discernible thing he's talking about, as opposed to doing like a news of the week podcast. I remember he did an episode when, oh, I'm blanking on the guy's name, former Starbucks CEO, guy who oh, used to own the Sonics. Thank you, Howard Schultz. 
when he was running for president, he did a podcast episode and he wrote like a 5,000 word article for the site about independent candidates and about the theoretical lane for an independent candidate. Yeah. And that was Nate at its best because he has, he, he had the facts on hand, he had the argument and he was able to draw out a really interesting point, which is, you know, like socially liberal, fiscally conservative, Mike Bloomberg types. That's actually not the lane. It would be like a, you know, uh, it would be like a spendy, but like it would be JD Vanceism, not not Mike Bloombergism. Got you. And yeah. like, but that was interesting because he had a he had a discernible point for doing the podcast, and he had like a discernible argument to make, and that's fine. When he's just kind of like riffing on the polls, it's like who cares? Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Well, I, I really, I like, I like the idea that the way you unlock Nate Silver is you give him a Skip Bayless. Like, you, he has to have a person for which that will a get, po- you know, a, a a point back at the 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 lazy. If he gets lazy, point something else at him that he has to respond to because that is a, a one element of Nate Silver that I've always found to be among the most fascinating is that he will get angry and he will burn bridges. Like, like that is that makes him a compelling personality that goes beyond just the numbers crunching. Uh, one of my favorite elements of Nate Silver is he brought a element of complaining about the New York Times to the mainstream that I had previously only seen from inside journalism circles. Uh, I very much enjoy that element of his personality. But if everyone does he need to skip Bayless? Does he need to skip Bayless or does he need a cousin Sal? Right, someone he okay. likes. Who can? Who is the only person who can say the things to Bill Simmons that Bill Simmons needs to hear? Like the sh- cousin Sal gets away with yeah. making fun of Bill Simmons on a weekly basis in football season. No one else could say that to him, and that's why that's the best Bill Simmons podcast because yeah. there is a comfort and a familiarity, and you get good Simmons because he'll he'll punch back, but it's not like nasty punching back. And that's what I think. That's what I think Silver needs. He needs someone he respects. Yeah. For a, for a sort of punch counter punch. Because, no, the reason, like, I've been joking about this for three years, but like, I started making this joke in 2020 because of how bad his model was that he has clearly fallen in love with somebody and wants to be fired, <laughs> wants, his, wants, wants to get paid out the rest of his ABC contract, get fired, and go be a house husband because. It feels like he's checked out. And the thing I keep sort of writing about every time I write about Nate Silver is like 2020 or like 2020 and 2022 Nate Silver. If 2011 Nate Silver saw the 2022 Nate was doing, like Nate has become everything he used to he used to rail against. And I don't know if it's just that he's lost his fastball or if he's just bored out of his mind because ABC isn't using him properly. And that's why I want him to go to Spotify. I don't want him to just be a retread somewhere else. I yeah. don't want him to become a columnist. Give, Let give him the cook. opportunity. Give him the opportunity to show that he hasn't lost his fastball. Let me ask you this. One last question, and then I'll get you out of here because I've already kept it for too long. Uh, should he be building models or should he be a pundit on numbers i mean he's gonna build the models i don't the thing is is that Should, like, I mean, publicly publish it right so like whatever yeah. he does behind the scenes is whatever he does behind the scenes and he can refer to it right but but i'm talking about i think he should do, i doing, think he should doing be. the thing because he will always i would say for the next at least two cycles 
be the lead dog when it comes to aggregate models, right? Like I think you should. I think you is, should make them. I think you should make them. I think you should de-emphasize them, and I think you should stop treating them as like a semi-sentient being. That like, if the model says something, it must make sense. No, like when you have like, you know, the Texas fifteen is like a fifty percent chance for Democrats to win it at one point. No, that your model is wrong, and when it's pointed out to you that your model is wrong because your model is trained in a very specific way that does not make any sense, and everyone is pointing this out to you. By when, everyone, you mean numbers Twitter. Yeah, when 16-year-olds on numbers Twitter have a better sense of why your model is dumb <laughs> than you, and everyone consistently points it out to you because the flaw is the exact same every single time you make one of these. Like, maybe don't act like like that's like actually some secret sauce that like really makes sense, and maybe start acting like you need like maybe start focusing on like listening a bit more well but it's hard it's hard when it's hard when you made when you made the genre it's it's hard to know when to listen to people for whom would not be interested in the way that they're interested if you didn't exist like i will defend him on that okay but here's the thing though like I had a better, I had a better 2022 than him. Hell yeah. I don't have the, that's I don't why have we the, had you on and not him. I don't have the institutional backing of ABC. Now I had a worse 2020 than him. I, I'm going to, I like, I'm not pretending I didn't, but like when I, every single time he releases a model, I find 14 things that make zero sense. And the worst thing is not only do they not make sense in reality, they also don't make sense together, which is a sign of a bad model. No, he should de-emphasize the model. Obviously, you build it, you put it on, you know. I I, 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 I disagree. I, I I don't think that you can put it out publicly and de-emphasize it. And that was an element that I kind of found frustrating as a less number-centric person that uh, really much, very much enjoyed his work in the brand is that you're Nate Silver. You got all 50 states right in 2012. I don't care how much you explain to me statistical variance. I don't care how much you explain to me that that numbers aren't perfect. If you put a thing out there, people are going to take it seriously. And either you own that or you don't make it public. And and you and you selectively dole out the information for which you want people to focus on. But his name is too big for that to mean anything less than Nate Silver's model dot 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 is a headline. Yeah, but the thing is, is that like you can treat your model as an extra, as a as an intellect, as an intellectually valuable thing, without treating it as this sort of like, well, I'm not going to criticize the model, even though it's a model. Models do not can cannot approximate everything, right? Yeah. And sometimes edge cases exist, right? But the problem for me and for a lot of people like me is that. Nate's models will be will have issues in specific edge cases for specific reasons, and it will try to be pointed out to 538 employees, especially people who actually check their Twitter mentions. And like I don't know they get I don't know that it gets back to Nate, but like he he seems responsive enough sometimes to the discourse. And I'm like, dude, you can just admit that your model isn't perfect in these seats like you don't have to go on your podcast and defend it for 20 minutes and have a goddamn meltdown because because someone thinks that you treat um 
because you because you because you screw up how you handle either really left trending suburban seats or really right trending uh, rural working class seats. Like it, it's fine, man. Like <laughs> I mean, you, that, you, you that can being just said- say you can just say that this is a you know that this is another way to do it, and you know we'll see who's right as opposed to acting like you know you doesn't think because you're God creation you're not anymore you 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 were a valuable member of the discourse i owe you my i i owe you a lot of my you know political and and sort of public existence right now i owe a lot of that to Ned silver if i ever met him in a bar i'd buy him a goddamn drink i but the problem is he actually doesn't stink and it stunk the last two models he's put out include uh three because i'll go back to the 2020 primary model garbage that's got to change understood understood that's got to change or all of this conversations are relevant because if he just keeps putting out dogs he's just gonna go away well yeah i mean look i i think he is he is a pioneer and i do think he is a legend and there's an element of that that will always matter um but i also cannot imagine i can imagine a few more intense and detail-oriented groups to be annoyed with me than spreadsheet Twitter. <laughs> like spreadsheet Twitter, when they get up your when they when they when they get up your rump, man, I I I can I can only imagine that they get that they get all the way there because it is it is an intense group of people that are very, very, very they've got theses and and the the work to show to back up why you were wrong and how you were wrong. And you know, maybe yes, is there a lesson of humility? Who knows? Uh, uh, but I can I can certainly understand from his perspective why uh, uh, responding is is its own emotional journey. I guess would be the best way to put it. Uh, uh, Evan, thank you so much for hanging out uh, a little bit a little bit longer with us and uh, and and chatting about this. Uh, of course, all the places that we find you, your Substack and uh, the lines, we will direct them to that. But uh, thank you so much, man. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Mr. Evan Scrimshaw, you can go to letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Send me all your emails, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find the show on Twitter, px3tweets. You can find me on Twitter, Justin R. Young. Our Twitch, where I am live Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays when I don't have other stuff to do, is px3live.com. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. You can support me on the PayPal, paypal.me slash Venmo, where money isn't real. Justin-Young-20, Cash App, PX3 Cash, and send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. I got an amazing gift, an amazing gift in the mail. It is a vintage 1969 red elephant mug with Nixon Agnew on it. Amazing. Brilliant. Fantastic. This stuff always tickles me and always will. Just send it on over to my P.O. Box. Write Justin Young on it. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. 
A reminder, you can always get bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Never want to hear an ad again? One dollar. Just head on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Three dollar tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule in our ten dollar tier. Get your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. Ten dollar tier. Jason, Andres, Matt, John Gross, C. Garcia, Matthew T., El Basso, John, Bugs Live, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Unsafe TV Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, DB4, Bongo, Neemeister, Catherine, Todd, Evo, Gloria, Young, for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Select, Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arslanian, Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot. Middle-aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, Joshua. Folks, you can get your name read at the end of the show. Like these fine folks in the Titanic, $10 tier. Just head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Really fun Friday episode for you guys. Uh, And that is Scrimshaw. He's going to be back. But we are going to do something really fun. It is the terrible candidate draft. Here are the rules. All right. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to draft three candidates each in the Republican primary with the idea being that we want them to be in the race for the least amount of time. So we want somebody to announce. Well, okay, I will. I'll tell you it. We want the candidate that announces on Monday and says that they're out of the race on Wednesday. So just to give you a sense, if you go back to 2020, the people that were in the race the shortest were Richard Ohida. He was in for 75 days. Grand opening, grand closing. Eric Swalwell, back before he was farting on TV and possibly having sex with a Chinese spy, he was only in the 2020 race for 91 days. Kamala Harris, 316 days. Look, there is, there's, there's a lot of fun to be had about campaigns, when people are going to last, where we think their trajectory is going to be. Uh, it is an extraordinarily fun conversation. It is the most political nerd fun that I have had on this show in, in quite a bit. You're going to love it. Tune in next Friday. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.